Well, good morning, FCBC Walnut. I'm, uh, it's my privilege to be here this morning as we look at the Word of God. Um, and so, um, let's pray again, and then we'll start. Lord, thanks for this time. Thank you that we can worship together in community. And I pray that as we look at your Word, I pray that everything that I say would be pleasing to you and that everybody here would hear what you want them to hear this morning. Thanks for the privilege of, of being together as we, as, we, as we look to you. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the church, in the church that I grew up in, uh, I, was, I grew up in a Chinese church, and the church that I grew up in, the, the Sunday school teachers uh, had a kind of a, a, a nativity scene. Uh, for the for the Christmas service, and had they had the they had the kids dress up for the nativity scene, and we would we would go up and we would join the Cantonese service, and we would and we would sing a song, dressed up as part of this uh, as part of this nativity scene, and I remember vividly that there was uh, that there were certain characters in the nativity scene that kids wanted to be, like the girls wanted to be Mary because she got to hold. The baby, baby Jesus, uh, and some of the some, some kids wanted to be a shepherd, some kids wanted to be an angel, and some kids wanted to be animals where they could make animal sounds. Um, I remember that I wanted to be a shepherd. Uh, shepherd, the shepherds got to see uh, the baby Jesus, and they got to see the the angel as well, and so. And when they took out the costume for me, uh, this is what I was. I was a sheep. I think this is from 1983. Um, I didn't want to be a sheep. Sheep are short and smelly, and they, um, they're not very bright. Um, but that's, this is who I was for the nativity scene. And I was, as, as I was thinking about this message, I remember, one of the things I remember was, I don't think any of the boys wanted to be Joseph. I, uh, and I think that the earthly father of Jesus suddenly, sometimes gets forgotten when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about the birth of Christ. And so this morning we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 1, and this, the, the opening chapter of Matthew is about Joseph. And so I just want to show, we just want to see what we can uh, learn from the way Matthew frames uh, Joseph. And so what we'll be talking about is two things. We'll be talking about how, uh, how Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus because of his family, because of his family line. Um, but we're also going to be saying that Joseph should be known for his faith. And so, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Uh, we have four accounts of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the first one is Matthew. And here, what we have to begin with, and some, you know, some of your Bibles might have a little title here at the beginning of Matthew, where it says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I think many churchgoers don't know what to do with genealogies because 
there's a, there's a bunch of names that sometimes are hard to pronounce, and we just don't, we, we just, we might, we might find them, might, might find it funny to read, or we might find it boring to read through. But the Lord has this genealogy in here for a purpose, and we're going to look at why the genealogy is here. But what I want us to do is I want you to think about these, all these names, because they're names of people. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of journey through the Old Testament through this genealogy. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is what the Bible says. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Um, and so the first thing we see is that this is, this is talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about the son of David and the son of Abraham. Those are two figures that are going to be very prominent in this genealogy. And so the first name that we see here in verse 2 is Abraham. Now before we continue, Abraham was, was a man that God called and God spoke to and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And one of the, one of the God, God made promises to Abraham. And one of the promises that God made to Abraham was that his family, his nation, would be a blessing to the world. That others would be blessed. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to others. So that Abraham's family was going to be a blessing to others. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And it mentioned, not, not, one of the things that we notice is that Jacob's mentioned, but it actually mentions, it actually mentions Judah's sons. And so here we have Judah, and we have his brothers. Uh, and some of you know that the brothers of the, the, the brothers of G Judah or the sons of Jacob are the, are the 12 tribes. So these are the patriarchs for Israel. These are the, these are the people that they look to. So every Jew, every person in that nation looks back to one of these patriarchs, one of, one of the sons of Jacob. But it mentions here uh, Judah. And Judah was not the oldest, but Jacob, his father, blessed Judah and said that there would be a royal line coming from Judah. So I want you to remember that as we move forward. Move forward. There would be a royal line coming from Judah. Verse 3, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, one of the things we've noticed is that so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, and so on. And so typically in this culture, they would, they would trace the family line through the fathers. Now there's other cultures that trace the family line through the mothers, but here we trace our family line through the fathers. And so it mentions the father, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. Um, and, but here, Matthew mentions a woman. And her name is Tamar. Um, so Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. And she was married to two of Judah's sons, one after the other. And both of those sons died before they had any children. And so what, Judah, what, what Tamar did 
was she dressed up as a prostitute to trick her father-in-law, Judah, to sleeping with her. Just, just a messed up situation. Um, and they, Judah and Tamar had a son named Perez. Uh, so, I want you to remember this as we move forward. Perez, the father of Hezron, this verse still in verse 3, and Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Let's take a time out here again. Rahab was a woman who was living in the city of Jericho when the, when the people entered the promised land. And she was a Canaanite. She was a, she was, she was a Canaanite. She was a, uh, a Gentile. So she's not part of the line of Abraham. She's not part of that, that people group. But she helped the spies uh, from Israel come through. Now what she did, she was a prostitute. And there's no way around what she did. Uh, and so, but what she, what she did was she helped the spies come through from, from Israel. And so here, she actually ends up here in the line of Jesus. We'll talk more about this in a bit. Um, father of Boaz by Rahab, we're in verse 5. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Here's another woman. And Ruth, Ruth was also a Gentile. And God prepared for her a, uh, well, uh, Ruth was, Ruth was a, a Gentile widow. And God prepared for her a godly husband named Boaz. Um, but again, she's not part of the line of Abraham. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Here we are. Do you remember where we talked about how Judah had, promised, Judah had been promised that his line would be the royal line? Here we see his descendant, David, become the king. And what God promised to David was that he would have this great nation and he would have this kingdom, but that there would be a forever king coming from his line, a forever king uh, who would be the king for eternity. We're still in verse 6. The David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And here we have another woman. The wife of Uriah, her name was Bathsheba. And David saw Bathsheba and wanted her. And took her and slept with her, committed adultery with her and then had her husband, Uriah, murdered to cover it up. And so here, they had a son named Beth, uh, they had a son named Solomon. And we wonder why, because we wonder why Bathsheba's name isn't mentioned. We even though mentioned the other women's name, women's names. And I think it's because we're pointing out, that, that Matthew's pointing out, that 
this was not David's wife, that he had committed adultery with her. And so he calls her the wife of Uriah to remind us about what had happened uh, in history. Verse 7, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. All of these, all of these figures between David and and Jeconiah, these are all kings. So they were, they were subsequently kings of Judah. Uh, we'll, uh, and it, it, it mentions the deportation, the exile to Babylon. Verse 12, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Adzor, and Adzor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliad, um, Eloi, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, and who is called Christ. Now, if you, if you feel overwhelmed by the, by the names here, it, it is a bit overwhelming. Um, but what we're seeing here, as, as we read through this genealogy, is that God has been faithful. God has been faithful. He made a promise. If you remember, he made a promise to Abraham that you'd have this great nation and that other people would be blessed through your nation. And so in keeping, in keeping his promise to Abraham, what comes through Abraham's family is Jesus. And Jesus is, would, be, would be the blessing not just to Israel, but to the whole world. God kept his promise to David that you would have a forever king on your line. And if you're, if you're familiar what's happening with the, with, if what's, what happened with the exile, that line of kings had to stop. It was no longer a royal line. So how was God going to keep his promise to David? And God keeps his promise to David through Jesus. The other thing I want us to notice is that there's a bunch of scandals in the line of Jesus. There's no way around it. We can't sugarcoat this, right? We see Gentiles, but then we also see prostitutes, and we see adultery. All of that is in the line of Jesus. And so what that tells us is that God uses imperfect people, sinful people, to accomplish his purposes because he loved the world. And Matthew is making sure that we know that by mentioning all these women here. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now some of you are wondering, what, what is the significance of these 14 generations? Well, this involves a little, a little Hebrew lesson this morning. Um, so, the, so Israel had a way of looking at numbers uh, where certain numbers were valued more than others. It's kind of like how 
It's kind of like how in Chinese we say that four is an unlucky number and eight is an unlucky number because of how they sound. If you're not, if you, if you're not familiar with that, you can ask somebody later about why. Israel had, a, Israel had a way of looking at numbers. They were a little different, but they valued certain numbers over others. And what they did through the numerology was they numbered each of the Hebrew letters. And so each letter had a value based on what letter of the alphabet it was. So if we were doing English, A, a, B, a would be one, B would be two, and so on. Um, and so here are the letters in David. Um, and just like Chinese, actually Hebrew reads, uh, Hebrew reads um, from right to left. You're seeing maybe right to left, right? And so, um, and so we're going to read from right to left. And so th these are the consonants. And it's, a cons it's really consonants that are in Hebrew. Um, and see, the, these are the consonants in David. Dalit, Vav, Dalit. And you see that in English, too. The, David is just a translation of this. And so Dalit, the first letter, is, a, is um, the fourth, fourth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Vav is the eighth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And again, we have another Dalit. So we have four and eight and four. And you add those up, that's... Did I do this incorrectly? <laughs> I think it's six. Bob is a sixth letter. I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at my slide. I apologize for my slide. Um, Dalit is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, so it should be four plus six plus four, and that would be 14. And so when we see this, Israel was looking at David. They, they were looking at 14 as a number for David. And so what Matthew is telling us is that it's, it's almost as if God has been whispering through history, David, David, David. When we get to Jesus here. And so we get to the end of the genealogy, and it's Joseph. And so the first thing we see is that Joseph was qualified to be the father of the earthly father of Jesus because of his family because of his family line, and he's a descendant of Abraham. He's a descendant of David. And so he was qualified because of that. But what we're going to be seeing today, and where I want to spend more of our time, is that, G is that Joseph should be known for his faith. And we're going to be looking at the rest of chapter 1 to, to see that. Um, and some of you are familiar with this so let's continue, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, we'll talk about that term, betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now the word betrothed kind of means that they got engaged. But engagement in our culture is different than betrothal. Uh, now, betrothal means they're not married yet, but it's a lot more serious than our kind of engagement. And so when people were betrothed, they, they had a promise that they would get married, but they would actually call each other husband and wife during their betrothal period. They would also not spend any time alone together. During, uh, they, they probably never spent any time alone, alone together. 
before their wedding night. And so, the other thing I, I, I want us to know, and we, we'll talk about this in a bit, was that in order to cancel a betrothal, you actually had to go through a divorce process. And so when it says that Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, this is, this is a serious agreement that they had together. And it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Um, and the ESV is putting this politely. When they came, it says before they came together. It just means that it means that they were never, they were not together alone. They were not intimate together, right? Um, and so she was found to be with child. She was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Remember I said they would call each other husband and wife. Uh, in the betrothal period, not verse 19, her husband Joseph. Now it says that he's a just man. That means he does the right thing according to, according to what Israel had said. The, 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 the law would say that he was doing the right thing. And so, um, so there's two things here that, that describes him in two ways. First is that he's a, he's a just man, or some of your Bibles might say a righteous man. And, uh, and there's another thing that, he, that they describe him as, and this is that he was unwilling to put her to shame. Because this is, what's, this is what was going through his mind. He has not been alone with Mary, ever. Mary was probably a teenage girl. How many teenagers? How many of you are teenagers? How many of you are parents with teenagers? Can you imagine, one, being engaged to be married as a teenager, or two, having your child as a teenager being engaged to be married? This is what's going on. So imagine you're a young man, and you're the teenager whom you are engaged to be married comes to you and says, surprise, we're having a baby. We're expecting. And so what's going through jo Joseph's mind is probably something like this. How can you be pregnant? We've never even been alone together. We have never even kissed you. I might, be a, I might be a laborer, but I know where babies come from. And so here, Joseph probably came to the conclusion that she had slept with someone else, that she had been intimately with somebody, another man, and that this was, she had committed adultery. Just another scandal in the line of Jesus. But this time, it's not a scandal. We see, we, we see that, the, that she had been found to be with child. She was pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know that at this point. And so he's thinking about what to do. And so being a just man, he needs to obey the law. And obeying the law means that he has to go through a divorce process. Some of you might be familiar with how some people, some of the Pharisees come up to Jesus and ask him, ask him about divorce. And he says, uh, this was, they, they talk about how it was allowed because of adultery. Um, and so divorce is the result of adultery. And so here, Joseph, being a just man, he wanted to do the right thing, would divorce her because that is what the law said. That if 
she commits adultery, I'm to divorce her. And the second thing he does, it, it, the second thing we, that we see and how, how he's described is that he's unwilling to put her to shame. And so, it says that he would divorce her quietly. Nobody would know. Uh, and so, because he didn't want her to go through that shame, that stigma of being known as an adulteress. And so we see his compassion here for, his, for who he thought his wife to be would be. Um, uh, and then so there's some people who say that he should have, he, 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 the, the law said that he could have had her brought out in public and had her stoned to death because of her adultery. And so he's thinking through all these options. And again, he wants to be a righteous man and do what the law says. Do the right thing, which is divorce. But he also wants to be, uh, he wants to be a compassionate man and, not, and, have, and do it quietly. Now we know he doesn't do anything yet. We need, and what, what we do, um, what we know is that he went to bed that night. Verse 20. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a, there's a lot here. So what, what the angel tells him in this dream is that you should still marry her. Don't worry. She hasn't committed adultery. That the reason why she's pregnant is because of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call her, his name Jesus. Verse 24. This is, how Je this is how Joseph responds. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called the name Jesus. This is how Joseph responds. Recently, uh, somebody pointed out to me that in this whole account, it never says anything about what Joseph says. There's no quotation or anything like that. All we know is what Joseph did. And so what we're going to see is that Joseph should be known for his faith. And the first thing we see in his faith is that he actually takes Mary to be his wife. But I want you to think about the implications of this. Can you imagine what would happen if there was a pregnant bride at the wedding. Can you imagine the whispering? Because again, they weren't supposed to be together until their wedding. And so you can imagine the whispering. Hey, the bride, the bride is pregnant. Does that mean they, were, they, they violated the law and slept together before the wedding? And so, 
suddenly, it's no longer about Mary's reputation, but it was about, it was about Joseph's own reputation. And he would, he knew that he would forever be known as someone who slept with, slept with her before they got married. And some of you are familiar where, where, with, uh, with, uh, with Jesus' life and uh, how he was called the son, and it's translated carpenter, called the son of the carpenter. And some people are saying that, uh, that they don't mention Joseph's name because there was a view that he was a sinful man. And so here, Joseph, what he does is he sacrifices his own reputation in order to obey God. So that's the first thing we see in, in, his, in the faith that he displays. The second thing we see is in verse 25. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And the ESV is very polite here. Um, and so what, when it says he knew her not, that means they didn't sleep together, all right? Um, and that was, that's the ESV's way of translating this and, and saying, okay, uh, they were not together. Um, they were not intimate together during this time. Now, if, if you're married, you probably understand this, that if you get married as virgins, you don't want to stay virgins. I'll just put it that way. And so this took, some, this took a lot of self-control from Joseph, right? And so he does this, and he knew her not until she gave birth. And that makes us, and so that, every, so that we are sure that this child is not from Joseph, but from, from the Holy Spirit. And so that's the second way that we're seeing that Joseph shows his faith. And the third thing that we see in Joseph is that he, he called his name Jesus. Now, if you remember, this is the name that the angel told him to give to the child. And so here Joseph, in obedience to God, gives that name to this child. There's a couple things here. One, one, is that in, one is that in naming the child, he was taking on that role of his father. Because it's the father who, who gives the name. It's the father who names the child. And so he was taking on the role of the father to this child. And even though it wasn't, even though it wasn't actually his biological son. So he takes this on, and he's taking on the role of the earthly father of Jesus. And I've called this message, The Father Chooses a Father. And if you, if you look, if you look I've, I've kept the second father, intentionally the lowercase, because this is the, God the Father choosing a human father, or an earthly father. And so here Joseph takes on that role of the father, by naming the child. But he doesn't name the child with a family name. Some of you might be familiar with 
uh, with Chinese traditions where you name them, you name them according to what the family, the, the family tradition would have them be named. And it's kind of similar in Israel, that there would be a family name that you would give to the, to the, uh, to the child. But Joseph doesn't go with that tradition, and he actually gives him the name Jesus. Now, Jesus is a version of Joshua. And so the, the, the angel, if you, will, you, if you will look back at me, um, verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And so here he names the son, he names this child Jesus. Now Jesus, um, Jesus means the Lord saves. And uh, again, it's a, it's a version of Joshua. And Joshua was the embodiment of that the Lord being the one to save back in the Old Testament. And, jo- and Jesus was actually a common name back then um, because Jewish families would name their, they would name their son Joshua or, or Jesus um, because there was a hope that, they would, that, that, the, that God would save his people, that God would save his people from their oppressors. And one of the things we looked at in the, in the genealogy was that the people went into exile. The, the royal line stopped. And the people were taken, forcefully taken from, a land to, from their homeland to a land that they were not familiar with, where a land that, they were, uh, that was not their home. And so, you know, for many of us, we have immigration in our families, whether or not it's forced or voluntary. And so the... We, we can relate to people who are in a land that, that, wasn't, that what, there wasn't familiar to them. And you can imagine all that came with that. But during that time in exile, God sent prophets like Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah to come and say, there's going to be a figure who's going to come and save you. There's going to be a figure, um, there's going to be a figure, they called him the Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. There's going to be a king who's going to come and save you. And so, all the the people had this the the hope in a Messiah, and in choosing to name their sons Joshua or or Jesus, they were expressing the hope that they would be saved. Many times, probably by that Messiah that was promised. And so they, for many of them, believed that they would be saved from their oppressors, from the, the, people, who, the people who had taken them out of their land. Now, the people, the, the people actually got to return to their land, and later on it was controlled by different kingdoms. And by the time of Jesus, it was controlled by the Roman Empire. And so in each era where there were people who were oppressing them, where people who were controlling them, the people believed that the Messiah would come and overthrow their oppressors. And so actually, if you see at the beginning of Acts, what happens is that this, this belief was even among the 12. Because after the resurrection, the disciples ask him, ask Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? They were talking about the land. Um, and they believed that Jesus uh, was going to be overthrowing their oppressors and bringing the kingdom at that point. 
And so here, Joseph names the boy Jesus. With all of, all of those, all of those uh, connotations that came from what the people believed and they were hoping for. But the angel says something really interesting. Remember how, it's a, remember how Jesus means the Lord saves. Uh, verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now that was a different kind of saving than, the, than, many, of the people were, than many of the people were expecting from the Messiah. Jesus is coming to save the people from their sins. And so this is how God's going to come and save through this Messiah. And they call him Christ. Now Christ is a Greek, it comes from a Greek word, Christos, which means anointed one. And it's basically the, old, the, New, the New Testament version of Messiah. And we usually translate words into English when we have Greek. But for centuries, this word, Christos, was just, was just transliterated. It's kind of like the word taco, where we take a word from another language and we just make it an English word. So here, with Christ... They've just taken the Greek word and made it into an English word. And that doesn't really help us to know what it means. But the word Christ, the title Christ, means he's the Messiah, the one that the people had been waiting for, the anointed one, the king that the people were waiting for. And so don't miss the fact that his title is Christ. It is Jesus Christ. Verse 23 says, They shall call his name Emmanuel. And so this another name for Jesus means God is with us at the end of verse 23. There's a quick tip that whenever you see a name in the Bible that ends in E-L, um, probably has something to do with God in that name. So my name is Daniel, that means God is my judge. Emmanuel means God is with us. And this was another way, this was another, this was another way of telling us what, uh, what Jesus' role was going to be. That he was going to come and be with the, God was going to come and be with the people through the Christ. And so Joseph believed what the angel said to him. Joseph believed that this baby was not from, was not from another man, but from the Holy Spirit. And he believed that this child would save the people from their sins. And so that's what drove him to actually do things that he wouldn't otherwise do. You know, sometimes we talk about faith, and we, we think that faith is simply just agreeing about something. That, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. But what Joseph does here is he actually shows us that faith is shown from your actions. 
And again, we don't, we don't have any record of what, Jesus, what, what, of what Joseph said. We only have a record of what Joseph did. And here we have, at the end of chapter 1, Joseph's showing his faith by what he did, even at the cost of his own reputation. Joseph took on, he took responsibility. He took on that role of being a father. He obeyed the angel who was speaking for God. He named the son Jesus. He took, he took Mary to be his wife. He did all those things, again, through losing his reputation at great cost to him. You know, I think more boys should be wanting to be Joseph in the nativity scene, don't you? So FCBC Walnut, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is who the angel said he is? Do you believe that Jesus is the king who was promised a long time ago? The king who would save his people, according to the angel, the king who would save his people from their sins. Do you place your trust in Jesus? Because if you do, that's going to change your life. That's going to change how you live and the decisions that you make. Because suddenly it's not just about agreeing that Jesus is who says he is, but you're acting on that belief, just like Joseph did. Again, Joseph believed that Jesus, this child that he was holding, was the same, was, would be the one to save his people from their sins. The child that was in Mary when, when, when the angel came to him, he believed and he obeyed. And so, do you believe? Do you trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that the people had been waiting for for so long? Because that's going to change your life. Jesus lived a life without sin, fully God, fully man, lived a life without sin, died on the cross, took the punishment that we should have had. He rose again. And he ascended to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And as we look forward to Jesus' return, if you place your trust in Jesus, you're submitting to him as king. And you get to have eternal life, new purpose for your life, and you get to be with Jesus forever. But that also comes with being a disciple of Jesus. You're following Jesus, and you're obeying him. And so, if you place your trust in Jesus, you're saying, hey, Jesus, you're my king. That's what Christ means, that promised king. And so do you obey his commands? Joseph had faith. He obeyed. So maybe there's something this morning 
that you know that you need to obey. Jesus and Maybe it's to forgive someone who really hurt you. And Jesus says to Jesus says to forgive and Jesus says to love and do kind to those who hurt you. Will you obey your king? Maybe it's to give up something. To be generous, to sacrifice something for the sake of the church, for the kingdom. Will you obey your king? Maybe it's to place your trust in Jesus for the first time. And to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. I want to follow you. Place my trust in you. I think we look at the example of Joseph who believed and he trusted and that changed his life. And as we look back at his faith, we, we ask ourselves, both you and me, how do we express our faith? How do we, how do we show our faith in Jesus the King? Can you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for the example of Joseph. And this is really hard. What Joseph did was really hard. And many times what you call us to do is really hard, but it's because of our faith our trust in you, our obedience, that we submit and we say, Jesus, we obey you. And as we look forward to your coming again, we look forward to a time that we can be with you forever. And there's no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. So, Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your word. I pray for myself and for everybody here that we continue uh, to remember the faith of Joseph, but ultimately how we respond to your word. And we know that you will reward us and you will enable us. In your name we pray. Amen.